Hi, this is Bernard Staggs, and welcome to The Staggering Truth. But in the days ahead, I am doing a series I'm calling True Crime from the Car Pickup Line. I know many of you, like myself, uh, are picking your children and grandchildren up, and you might want something short to listen to and while you wait on these amazing grandkids and kids of ours. So these podcasts are meant to talk about local events, true crime, and my knowledge of the court system that I think I would hope would help people understand how the court system works because I think a lot of people have this thought that the crimes really work a lot like on television, like law and crime, excuse me, you know, the, all those shows, uh, especially things like NCIS or Law and Order. In the real world, doesn't work that way. I'm going to play an advertisement, a commercial, and I'll be back. So, I decided to start this podcast because I have extra time, like many of you, to sit in a car rider line. In that process, I have anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes, and I thought, you know what? It'd be a good time to update these things. And and once again, these podcasts are not going to be in a professional environment. You're not going to hear me not make some mistakes, cough, kids yelling, horns honking, hopefully not at me, those kind of things. So what I want to talk to you about today is the death penalty. The do's, the don'ts, the legalities, the things like that. Because we just had a trial in with a plea, or excuse me, a plea before the trial of a man who killed believe six seven eight people and he received life in prison because he pled guilty Uh, i was actually en route to the trial earlier this year uh the judge stopped it for the third time two to three other times michael cummins had been declared incompetent to stand trial he was in the hospital a while under mental treatment psychology all those things and he was declared competent to stand trial. So, I was driving in. People from places like Dateline and Law and & Order and Law and & Crime and uh, you name it were all flying in. I literally drove north of my home about 15-20 minutes when I looked down and said, Case is canceled. Judge canceled. No notice. We still don't know why. But my guess is he was found incompetent to stand trial again. So yesterday he pled guilty. I believe it was Westmoreland, Tennessee. He pled guilty to the, all those murders and was sentenced to eight consecutive life sentences. Basically, he will never get out. So we're going to continue this podcast after a quick commercial break. And I'll tell you how the death penalty works in Tennessee and most other states. Because we all follow the model that the United States Supreme Court sent down in, I believe it was 1976, in the Gregg decision. Be back shortly. Okay, guys, here we are. We're still stuck. So, it's a good time to talk about the death penalty. In 1976, Tennessee reenacted or reenacted the death penalty. Most states did, 76, 77. Most of you are probably listening to this in states, well, may or may not have the death penalty because it's at 27. 
So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the death penalty and how it works because it doesn't work like most people think. And this is why you're going to hear from some people that the death penalty is not the best option often for the taxpayers or the families. It's probably always the best option for the offender. Now, that being said, when a person is arrested after a murder, because the death penalty will always, always in a state come in the United States, not the federal government, but will come after a murder. The only exception that I'm aware of is the federal charge of treason, which is virtually impossible to um, charge. All right, so guys, now we've established that, that the death penalty is only available for murder. That doesn't mean kidnapping, that doesn't mean rape, that doesn't mean child molestation. It doesn't. You can hold your own opinions on these things, but the Supreme Court says it can only come after murder. There is that little caveat that treason can come in there. But to the best of my knowledge, that's never been done since the 40s. Okay. So I'm going to walk you through a Tennessee case, and we're going to call this a hypothetical. Say a suspect, a male, kidnaps a female, tortures, rapes her, and then kills her. Okay. What you now have is felony murder, which is capable of receiving the death penalty. Okay. You have, a, you have a murder committed while perpetration of two serious felonies, kidnapping and rape. That makes it a death penalty case. I may put this on Facebook or wherever, and I'll put the death penalty codes under there where you can see if the rest of them fit. Okay, so he's arrested. Now this is where we get to a question of bond. The Tennessee Constitution says every citizen or every arrestee in Tennessee is to be afforded a bond, a reasonable bond with the exception of capital murder. The scenario I just explained to you is capital murder. That's first degree murder. That's a felony murder. That's those murders. <sighs> Hypothetically, there's a murder in uh, second degree murder where there's a passion killing. That is not eligible for the death penalty, and it is not, but it is eligible for bond. So there's a good way to look at those. Now, let's move on. Once that person has been arrested, they'll be served and they'll have a preliminary hearing unless they waive it. At that time, the state must prove to the judge that there is probable cause to move forward. If that's the case, then they move on to, it's bound over to the grand jury. You can skip that and go, and the state can go directly to indictment. You've probably heard a few cases out west that have done that. Why do they do this? Two reasons. One, they don't want the state, they don't want to overplay their hand of the defense, and often they're protecting the victim. Say you have a rape murder. Instead of embarrassing or making the family go through all the sordid details, you can skip and go to an indictment. And then you bring it directly into circuit court in Tennessee. In other counties and states, it's called different things. A lot of DAs also do this in sex offenses. They'll say, why is that guy not accused of rape? He 
he molested that little girl. And the DA will say, you know what? I'm not going to make her subject to being on that stand and cross-examined. So he'll wait, he'll wait, get in order, get it in front of a grand jury, indict that person, and then bring them in, into the circuit court without the victim having to face questioning in public. Now, let's move on back to the death penalty. So at this point, the, the defendant has been bound over to the grand jury. When it gets to the grand jury, they'll return an indictment most likely for felony murder, capital murder, murder in the commission of a felony. It depends on where you live, what those are called. At some point after that indictment, the suspect will appear in court again and the judge will just formally read the charges. Okay, now they set a court date. Okay. Now the district attorney has to step in and the district attorney has to notify the defense in writing in a, within a certain amount of days of the trial that he intends to seek the death penalty. Why do they do that? One, because they have to have time to prepare. Now I'm going to tell you, here are some of the reasons that a lot, a lot, a lot of DAs do not opt for the death penalty in obvious cases or also after talking to the family. When it gets to that level, the judge will appoint two, not one, two death penalty certified defense attorneys for the suspect. Because at this time, most of them do not have the means to do so. Hire their own attorneys. Sometimes there's, those are done at pro bono because there's attorneys that uh, that um, that are opposed to the death penalty so they will represent their clients. So, but we're talking about a major expense at this point. We are talking about two death penalty certified attorneys that the state of Tennessee or other states is paying. Okay, as this goes, they're going to get to ask for help. They're also going to get to ask for experts. And who's paying for that? The taxpayers of your state. Now, as we go and we get towards the, if we get towards the jury or we get towards the trial, there's going to be a very large jury pool. And because here's what happens in a death penalty case: there's two trials. There is the trial like you see on TV, and there's the penalty phase. Once again, we get back to more money. Judges are required to sequester the jury. And usually there's about 16 people on those juries. There'll be 12 real jurors and four alternates. Because some person, because a lot of times the trials are long, they may have a family problem, they may get sick, or they may do something that disqualifies them. Now, so... The jury process is quite long during those because first they're going to ask you, are you opposed to the death penalty? Can you enact the death penalty? How much of the pretrial publicity you are you uh, aware of in this case? Now, that's a good point to bring up right there. It, you can have heard of any case. The judge is going to ask you pretty much, have you made up your mind? Or can you listen to my directions and the evidence presented here? Not what you've read in the newspaper, not what you've seen on the internet, or or any of those things. I actually have had a judge jokingly repair to um, to that man back there. <laughs> so, so 
Now, once the jury's seated, they're impaneled. Now, a lot of, jury, a lot of death penalty cases last a week, two weeks, or more. So now, this is where the expense comes in, and this is what I want people to understand, why often we're talking about expense, time, and torture. And we'll get to the torture part in a minute. So, now we're ready to start the trial. It's going to be long. It's going to be gruesome. The medical examiner is going to testify in great detail about how the body was mutilated, sexually assaulted, beheaded, organs removed, you name it. They're going to talk about it. And then they're going to show it. Can you imagine being a parent or a sibling having to look at your grandmother, your sister, your mother, your brother in all those shapes? Now, that goes on. If the suspect is convicted, you go to the penalty phase. If not, you have a hung jury. But we're, for the purpose of this recording, we're going to say that the, the suspect was convicted. Judge is going to take a day or so, let the, the attorneys get ready. And now we're going to have a another trial, a mini-trial, where the jury will hear all about how the person did this offense. It opens up what they can tell the jury about the past of the defendant. It opens up a lot of things. Conversely, those are called the aggravating factors. The, the, the prosecution will tell the jury the reasons that they should choose to execute this defendant. Now, the defense will give you a lot of reasons why they shouldn't. It can be so many different things. It can be social, it can be psychological, it can be backgrounds, it can be all these things. And the jury, after they've heard that, well, it's a little different with this jury. In the death penalty phase, the penalty phase, the jury must be unanimous. If any one person on the jury says, I don't want to do the death penalty, then the sentence becomes life without parole. It's automatic. So, the suspect will die in prison. Okay, now what this does is it triggers multiple, multiple, multiple appeals. Uh, most of them, some of them, are, a lot of them are mandatory. Even if the suspect doesn't want to appeal and says bring on the death penalty, the state still is required to, to do those appeals. At some point, most likely, the, the, the defendant will argue that I wasn't properly represented by my attorney. What's going to happen then? The prosecutor becomes the attorney for the defense of the, of the attorney that represented the defendant, and he's got to prove why his case was so good that it led to a conviction. I want you guys to know all these things. Okay, so we're going to say that this person received the death penalty, and that's going to trigger appeals. So here we are in 2023. If a murder happened today, 
the trial would happen in 25 or 2026. And then after that, we would be looking at mostly 25 years till they would ever see the death chamber. So that's what, 2051? Okay. Now I'm going to take you down to the reason a lot of, a lot of district attorneys don't go to the death penalty. One, the victim's family may never live to see it, but they will be tortured by it for the next 25, 26 years, as I've explained. So then the, the family may say, you know what? I don't want to see my grandmother or my daughter filleted like a fish for the next 26 years. Let that limey bastard plead guilty because once he pleads guilty, he waives his rights to appeals. And I never have to see his face again. That is the reason that most district attorneys do not proceed for the death penalty. Because the family wants to be able to step back, bury their dead, or which they've already done at this point, or they may not have. They may, the dead's bones may be being held in uh, as evidence and they're not going to get them back till there's a conviction so the guilty pleas sometimes make it to where there can be a formal funeral so I, I don't know what else i can tell you about the death penalty except these are the reasons that a lot of cases don't go to the death penalty and i hope that uh my time sitting here in the car were like right or line has has informed you a little bit of the death penalty. I know some people are for it, some people are against it, but that's not what this was about. This is not what this was about. This was about the death penalty and how it affects the defendant, who cares, or how it affects the families and why often they opt out. Because I hear people say, I'd want the death penalty. I'd want death penalty. Well, I'm just going to say it. I, I've said in death penalty cases, and I heard the mother of a victim say, when they pulled the death penalty table, I said, why don't you agree? She said, I don't want to put it on my, my youngest son to see this through because I'll be deceased before that subhuman goes to the death penalty. Now I know that he's in prison for the rest of his life and I never have to much think about him again. And tomorrow we can start the healing process. Guys, here it is. I see the line moving. I think I'm going to like doing this. We're just going to call it true crime from the pickup line. You guys have a great one.